You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to another fun takeover series. As, as most of you know, every Tuesday and Thursday, we have started to find amazing leaders who are doing great podcasts and we want to partner up because guess what? They have a lot of times great content that you may not never hear about. And if you like it, you can go and subscribe to that. And I know people call me crazy to do that, but I think if you learn more together, you'll be better. That is one of our goals with it. So this time, a very good friend of mine, David Lewis, who is the CEO and founder of DemandGen, is again, just like last year, collaborating with me on this amazing series. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sangram. So glad to be back. I feel like whenever you and I do these collaborations, it's a little bit like, uh, well, maybe Justin Bieber and Chance the Rapper. Which one do you want to be? I, I can't uh, sing, so I'll take, I'll take Chance. Well, the fun part is people are going to hear this every single time when we do the entire series because you're going to have 10 of your episodes, the best of the best episodes, and you're calling it the marketing power player. So Dave, just share a little bit about who you're interviewing, what these uh, episodes are all going to be about. Will do. Thank you so much, guys, for, uh, for being with me on this TakeOver series. I'm really proud to bring you guys some incredible leaders from our series. If you guys are not already subscribing to De- Demand Gen Radio, look it up. These are some of the top 10 episodes that ran in 2020. And you've got people like Heidi Malin, who is one of the top CMOs uh, around the world. Career lessons from her. Naomi Liu, who is over at EFI. She runs marketing operations there. And she's talking about a marketing automation migration that they did. Michael Madden over at Adobe on how Marketo actually does demand generation. Folks like Joe Payone at Splunk on how to build a successful demand generation strategy. David Eldred on the power of marketing driving revenue. And Rob Boyce around ramping up marketing during a downturn. So many other great episodes as well, but just a really, I I hand-selected a series of episodes that not only did great on our channel, Sangram, but the content is so relevant and so important to your audience. Oh man, I I love that. I can't wait to jump into it. This is a full on series that I really wanted people to take a take a look into. So folks, uh, if you are listening this introduction for the first time, just know this is a whole series in the show notes, you're going to see more information about how do you go and check out David's uh, radio. Uh, You can also look at all the YouTube series that they have started, which seems to be going really, really well. So all those details will be in the show notes. It will also tell you, is this the first of the series or the 10th of the series? So make sure you check the show notes out and make sure you follow Dave Lewis. Dave, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, guys. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today, I am joined by none other than Michael Madden, who is head of demand generation for guess who? Marketo, an Adobe company. Michael, great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. And you've gotten this question before. I'm not the first. I probably won't be the last. Any connection to the John Madden family or the Steve Madden shoe line, the shoe dynasty? You know, it's funny you, you ask. It, it really depends. There is no connection, um, but it really does depend on who you're talking to. If you're trying to impress that person, if you're never going to see that person again, um, not uncommon that I do something like that at Starbucks. However, also not uncommon that I give Starbucks barista the wrong name entirely, like uh, Optimus Prime, just so they can yell, you know, latte for Optimus Prime in the Starbucks. And you feel pretty awesome when you walk up and get your coffee. I can see that you're in one of the best ski places in the world because you are in Colorado. I am in California and I go skiing very often with my family at North Star in Tahoe. You've never been there, have you? I have been there. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you probably, if you rented as a lot of rental places, you go in and you type in who you are. And when my girls were very young, and this is the Britney Spears era, they would type in Britney Spears just for the same reason I have it called out that Britney Spears was getting her ski boots and everybody was kind of disappointed when no, it was, it was just my daughter. It wasn't, wasn't Brittany. 
That's actually pretty good. You know, it's a, uh, you know, what's funny is uh, the first time I saw your name, I had to check your picture um, because I went to high school with a David Lewis. There's, there's a few of saw, us. Yeah. I just saw David Lewis at our, my 10 year high school reunion. And I thought, man, like what a great name. And I know another David Lewis. It was, yeah, it's just funny. We have, we have, two clients who have David Lewis's and I will tell you that one time I got a very disturbing call and it was one of our clients who was really ripping David a new one. And at first when the message started, it was, Hey David, this is so-and-so I won't mention their name. Uh, I just want to let you know that I didn't appreciate what went on in the meeting today. I felt it was backstabbing and went on and went on. I'm like, uh, who, what? Huh? And then I realized, yeah, okay, this isn't me. And then I had to do the awkward call, which is you called the wrong David Lewis. And let's just say that person was a little embarrassed, but hopefully that resolved for them. But every once in a while I get emails. Hey, let's jump in to what we want to talk about today. I do want to ask you one other question. I'd love to hear the transition story from Fisher Instruments. You ran demand generation there. Uh, you were there for several years, and then you took on and came to run demand generation at Marketo. And what I'm really curious about is not only that transition, but what was it like to take on and go to Marketo? Because you're, you, you kind of have to feel that responsibility, right, of we better be best in class or try to get there if we're Marketo using Marketo. So how did that all come about? And what was it like to, to take the responsibility of demand gen at Marketo? Yeah. Uh, so a lot of good, a lot of good stories in there. So I started at Fisher Investments when I was like 22 or 20. Yeah, I was 22. Um, this is my second job out of college. First one was kind of a shorter stint than I would have wanted it to be. Um, but I came out of college into a little itty bitty, like 13 person asset management company. Stayed there for eight, nine months, worked on like digital marketing, the website just batch and blast emails to like constant contact. And then I got to Fisher Investments. And uh, what's funny is it's diagonally across the street from Marketo, um, the headquarters in San Mateo. And so I, I was just, you know, like a marketing specialist. Um, I was running what they, what they call remarketing, um, which is just basically sending emails every week um, to prospects. And these are prospects that, you know, are typically an older crowd. They have, um, you know, a lot of investments and we're essentially trying to, you know, get them to change money managers. And so, um, one day pretty early on in my time at Fisher, um, one of the guys who is in charge of sales and marketing, who is like, I don't know, eight, 10 levels above me, something crazy. It's like, Hey Mike, we, uh, we're, we're thinking we're going to roll out Marketo. Um, we, we think you're going to be a guy that's going to really help. Like you're going to help a lot. And I said, that's great. I don't know what that is, but, uh, yeah. Okay. That sounds good. Whatever you need, I guess I'll, I'll help. And then one way or another, we kind of went down this path of, um, you know, in the next couple of months implementing Marketo, we had a technology partner come on, um, to get the system stood up for a pilot and post pilot, we hired a guy to run the instance and after probably i don't know five months um it wasn't working out with that guy mm -hmm. and we had gotten to this point where our own marketo instance was uh it was hurt i mean it was like really hurt and so here i am i'm 23 and uh and they say hey uh listen so we're spending a lot of money on this thing we need this to work and we need you to fix it. And so um, no small task because we were, we were a very big company. I was very, very fortunate in that um, someone well above me made the decision that I needed a consultant that was going to help me rebuild this thing from kind of the, the inside out. Uh, fortunately, that consultant was a man named Chris Russell. And Chris Russell was the ex-marketing operations director at Marketo for three or four years like between like 2011 and 2014. And, you know, there's a difference between consultants that are like, yeah, I know the product and I can you know, tell you the, the features and how it works. And then there's other guys that are like, I can literally solve any business use case you want. You just give me, 
you know, a login. I'll do it. And that's the kind of guy Chris was. And so Chris and I sat down for about two years rebuilding this thing to be an enterprise level um, product or enterprise level instance of Marketo um, with many, many burritos in between sitting down and, and rebuilding. And, uh, and then it got to a point where I, my dad told me, he was like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if you could go into work and like talk about Marketo and other people would know what you were talking about, like talk in Marketo language. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, that would be pretty cool. And he said, well, what are you doing? Like, isn't Marketo across the street? Why don't you just go over there? And I said, you know, that's a really good point. And so I walked across the street. I interviewed. Turns out Chris, uh, my old consultant, hired the VP of demand gen back in the day named Heidi Bullock. No, Heidi well. And Heidi walked, yep. And Heidi walked into the room after I had interviewed with a couple people. She closes the door and she's like, I have to tell you, it is an honor to meet you. Chris Russell sent me a note about you. Um, and you guys work together. He told me everything I need to know. I have nothing else to say other than <laughs> like, I'm just so excited to meet you. And let's just sit here. Let's hang out. We can chat. We got 30 minutes. I just want to learn more about you. And that was it. It was, it was, it was like some, you know, gift from God coming down and it was my dream job. And finally it was like, I was in this place where I had found my passion. I had found everything that makes me, you know, um, eager to solve these problems and, and learn and push myself to figure out how to take complex like business use cases and build a beautiful solution. And so, yeah, here I am almost four years later and um, kind of doing the same thing today. Same, so you, same challenges. I appreciate the backstory. And, and since you said it was, you know, almost dream state um, and I really, you know, want to hear the the, the truth, because every marketer out there, it's a tough job, especially in the, in the world we live in with, with digital transformation, transforming companies. Are you living the dream? What, what is it that you love about what you're doing? Uh, and, and what is it that, I'll say keeps you awake at night, but is the more challenging aspects of the job? Um, I still have that. I say, I kind of say this all the time. I say it to um, our CMO, Sarah, I always say that if you can dream it, you can build it in Marketo. And I still have yet to find a scenario where I haven't been able to um, take a really complex challenge and solve for it. And so um, that I still love and that I still find exciting. The things that keep me up at night, I mean, we, you know, before, kind of before in the Vista days we had, or I should say before the Vista days, pre-Vista when we were acquired. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say things didn't really keep me up at night. It was, it was pretty, I mean, I was in a different position. I was like a program manager and I was in pursuit of like perfecting programs, pursuit of perfecting campaigns. I'm going to make this, you know, be best for the customer experience. I'm going to drive the most engagement. I'm going to get as many opportunities as possible. So it was more one-off things. I wasn't, you know, running this business. I was running a very, small um, part of a business and with a lot of oversight from managers and that, that whole thing. In the Vista world, it was, how do we turn this into a super high growth, profitable machine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the pressure, the pressure there came from, um, I think it was more like self-implied pressure more than anything else. I was like, I, like, I want to, I want to build something incredible. I want to leave a lasting um, kind of legacy as how quickly we can scale this like commercial model that I run now. And um, ultimately like how quickly we can move on to the next donor. Um, And now that we're under Adobe, the things that keep me up at night are, okay, you know, we proved that we could do this, that we could grow business really quickly. Um, But this is the big leaps. This is no joke. This is, this is one of the, the coolest and fastest growing and most innovative companies in the world. And now I'm kind of back in that spot where I'm 22 year old Mike that someone says, Hey, we want you to run Marketo. What do you think? And now I am, you know, 28 year old Mike and someone's saying, Hey, we want you to run Marketo for Adobe. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what? That's, you know, it's, it, you come, you come completely full circle. 
And so I'm still at a, at an exciting time in my career where, um, you know, it, it feels like I'm, and this is a weird way of saying it, but it feels like I'm young again, you know, like I, I'm almost starting over, but I have really kind of good experience that I've just gone through in the last five, six years. It's, uh, I appreciate you sharing the insights. I think people can hear that, you know, you took on challenges and you rose to that opportunity. And then through these acquisitions, especially with Adobe, you've been, you, the, the field of play keeps changing, right? It's like you've gone from little leagues to the, uh, yeah, I'm such a baseball player. What's, what's the, uh, what's the national baseball? little leagues to like, uh, well, little leagues is like for kids, right? right. So you're like little leagues, JV to varsity, and then you're like minor league. What's the major? Major league baseball. MLB. That's what I, that's what I'm struggling yeah, for. Yeah, MLB. MLB. Yeah. You know how many people just laugh that I couldn't come up with MLB? But that's the point: is that you don't know everything in life, and you rise to new challenges. And you, yes, you work for one of the best marketing innovative companies on the planet, whose bar is so freaking high for the aesthetic of everything that they create you you gotta you gotta rise to the occasion i i get it i remember i was one of silicon valley's youngest vice presidents of marketing when i was 28 years old and was certainly in situations where i didn't have a freaking clue what i was going to do or what i was doing and you just you just get through it and you you fake it until you make it and you learn and you grow let's um i i was on a call earlier today where you're, you guys are in a sales cycle and we're joint selling together for a company that has not selected their marketing automation system yet. And the sales rep on your team that was going through that was going through like the menu of Marketo capabilities, talking about the core product and all these different capabilities all the way rising up to ABM and certainly Visible was mentioned. I'd love for you to unpack what Michael uses in the platform, like these are, and, and not, you don't have to cover everything, but the things that you feel to you and your team are like the essential ingredients that if you, cause you've now used Marketo several times and at Marketo, what matters? Yeah. So I'd say what's funny is, uh, you could, you could look at like any, I guess any software company and they're, you know, talking about these different products that they have and solutions. Um, and sometimes they, they don't talk as much about like what's the core like the absolute core to their product. And for us, like my personal opinion is we don't talk about how amazing a smart campaign is often enough. Like it can literally do anything, anything. It can send emails, it can support leads, it can process workflows, it can call out campaigns. I mean, hell, the, the, the guy I used to work with as a consultant, Chris Russell was one of the guys that first kind of came up with the whole notion of like traffic cop, which is nurture, but not in the traditional nurture sense that most folks are familiar with around actually having a nurture engagement program and, you know, streams. I mean, this was like hardcore nurture built with the complexity of smart campaigns calling each other. And um, I say that I, I tend to lean on the side of, you know, some of, and this is for any company, some products are, are just a simplified view of what other products are like core functionalities are in the product. So like an email program in Marketo is really just a smart campaign, but it's simplified into a, a, a tile view with four tiles of who you're sending to when, what email and the time. And so, um, I mean, not to get like super nerdy and geeky here, but I'm like hardcore into smart campaigns more than anything else. Um, product wise, the things that we use at our core, um, RCE or it's it now has a bunch of names, but uh, Revenue Cycle Analytics or Revenue Cycle Explorer or Advanced Report Builder, but basically our our pivot tool um, within the product. We are pretty close to having um, visible, like totally live and flushed out for for our own instance, which we just relaunched, which we'll talk about a little later. Nice. Um, um, and then outside of that, I would say other technologies that are extremely key to kind of our own commercial business is Drift um, chatbot on our website, which we've now actually rolled out beyond uh, North America. We have it in um, Australia and we're working on EMEA, although mm -hmm. there's a lot of complexities around privacy and, sure. um, you know, who, who actually can see the bot. Um, Bombora for intent data. 
I love Bombora. Uh, the product's amazing. I think the product is is very slick, and I think how we use it is um, is very sophisticated. But on top of that, the the people at Bombora are just really good people. They are the perfect example of, um, I guess, the phrase like you you want to buy from people that you really like. Sure. Well, we've already bought from them, and I keep in touch with all of them because I just really like them. Like they're my friends. Um, they are they are good people. They're a good partner too. Yeah. And just so you know, because I've had Mike on the podcast, I don't know if you know this, but they speak very highly of Burton? you. Yeah, they they are. Mike is very impressed with you know you're pushing the. I wouldn't say you're pushing the envelope to suggest that you're stressing the system. It's you're using the technology beyond the normal user to your advantage. So so kudos to you. It it doesn't. I'm going to ask a little bit about your background, Michael. Like the smart. Um, smart campaigns. I'm like you, I geek out on that stuff because I was a coder when I was a kid. And so when marketing technology now enables us to essentially write programs, marketing programs by dragging and dropping and creating rules and variables and that type of stuff, it feels incredibly empowering. And like you said, you can do anything. You want to look at someone who's visit the pricing page and and come up with uh, some other targeting information and send them a particular email and then wait a certain bit and look and they've seen something else. I mean, if you can imagine it, you can, you can craft the cadence. And so it's, you got to start right with thinking about the buyer's journey, what you're trying to achieve. I loved it for like freemium or free trial stuff and just onboarding a free trial user. You, you and I both have so many clients together that use, you know, their tech companies that have free trials of their applications and they want to do conversion at some percentage. And so just, you know, being able to look in, have they logged into the application? Are they using the application? Have they deployed? licenses and, and using data from the CRM as well as a Marketo to build those trees. My team loves building those programs. And it, like I said, sky's the limit. Hey, do you, do you do, I, of course you do scoring. How do you do scoring? Do you, what type of model is, is applicable to Marketo's commercial demand gen business? So we have a lot of models. Um, I should say a lot of different, well, we do have a lot of models, but we also have a lot of elements of scoring. scoring. So um, behavioral scoring, kind of, you know, just like your standard run of the mill, email clicks, uh, form completions, different content, web page visits, you know, attending programs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's firmographic scoring. There is uh, demographic scoring, just around right job titles, really the decision maker job title. Mm-hmm. Um, there's predictive count scoring. And then there's intent scoring. And the all basically all of these different types of um, scores that we look at roll up into it's now called our AQL model. Um, or I should say it's a it's a lead to revenue model, and we pass AQLs, automated qualified leads, not MQLs. Um, and I'd say the one that was probably in the past couple of years because. Um, and Ken, I think we still need to like prove just how valuable it is. I do know it is, but just how valuable it is. I'd say the most important one that we've implemented in the last couple of years was predictive account scoring. And tell me more about that because I don't often hear about predictive account scoring. And predictive, predictive I'm curious to get, um, well, let's stick with that, but then bolt on to that your take on predictive. I think we might hear it in your description, but you know, it's starting to get a little bit of a big question mark around predictive and, and, you know, because it suggests that you're going to predict who your next customer is or when they would buy and those things like that. And is that really what predictive does or other things, but go ahead. How have you incorporated predictive into account scoring? So we used to have this, um, I want to like frame the problem first or mm-hmm. how, how we Perfect. got to this. So we, we used to have this um, kind of just from my perspective, because at this point I was like a program manager, but you go in the room with the marketing and sales leaders and it never felt like they were quite connecting. Um, marketing's running around saying, you know, these are the programs we're doing. It's really exciting. We generated these leads. we got these downloads um, and sales is saying, yeah, but we're missing our revenue number. We think the leads are crap. Like almost like your stereotypical, um, like marketing sales alignment meeting, um, where you just don't feel like we're quite in sync. Mm-hmm. And then um, when when you looked at the 
what was then the MQL model, the equation for passing over a marketing qualified lead. It used something called a sort score, which um, essentially what it was, was if you were demographically the right person, let's say you were a CMO, be target marketers, you were a CMO, you only you had to do like very, very little um, behavioral actions in order to pass over the line um, as an MQL. And there was absolutely no account component to this, like firmographic component where it was, you know, you're a CMO at a biscuit company, which clearly would not be a Marketo customer versus a CMO at a software company, right? And so what we find was we passed the leads over, turns out that they'd be, you know, owners of mom and pop shops or, you know, the whole spectrum of what you could imagine is kind of a junk lead. Um, And so sales would, you know, rightfully say that these are garbage. I can't work these leads. It's the heavy recycle rates. Um, And marketing would say, I don't get it. I don't know what you, like, we're, this is our, we're Marketo, you know, this is, this is it. And, uh, and so then we had a, um, a few people lead this project. I think one of them that, was super instrumental, who, by the way, total badass, this guy named Dave Kane, um, who's now at SendGrid, which good, just got acquired by Autodesk. I good think, friend right? of mine. Love Dave. Um, Shout out to Mr. Kane. Mr. Kane's the man. Um, so hopefully he hears this. He knows he's the man, but he's probably, he hears this, he'd like shake his head and be like, no, Dave, you're the man. <laughs> anyway, so um, this this whole notion came about as uh, as to like, well, why aren't we putting like a, uh, an additional constraint, a threshold on what constitutes a good account. And, you know, then there were conversations around building an ICP. Um, you know, what are the key verticals or industries that Marketo is really successful in? And what are the ones that we're not? So that was the time where we said, okay, well, we're not good at e-commerce. Like we're not going to go um, try and get some website that, or some company that has a website with tens of thousands of SKUs. Marketo doesn't scale that way, right? And so we started building this ICP, and with the ICP, we sent it to um, LeadSpace. They were we we had just onboarded LeadSpace. And what LeadSpace did for us was they said, "Great, we're going to take all these accounts, and we're going to basically score them across like four or five thousand different signals. We're going to look at, you know, what does the website look like? The depth of the website? Is there a contact me form? Is there social? Is there?" you know, all these different components. And then they were able to score other things outside of that, like funding levels, hiring levels, um, location technologies used, if they use a competitive technology. And what the, what it was able to do was create kind of a baseline score from zero to 100 as to uh, how, how good is this account predictively mm-hmm. based on your existing customers. Right. And what we had found when we first rolled it out, and the numbers aren't going to be perfect that I quote, so no one write this down, but um, it was something like, if if we are going after an account with an account score of 100, it's like seven times more likely to close than an account score of 50 or 60. And like, I don't know, double the ASP or everyone has different words for it, but double the sale price. Um, and so it was just this little like test sample and we really leaned into it and then changed what was the MQL equation at that time for what a lead need, needed to be to pass over to sales. And it changed to, you need to be a target. And target was a new field that we had come out with that mm-hmm. basically said, like, demographically, you are the right person or you're not or you're unknown. If you're unknown, we still have to find out more. You can still be a target or not a target, but you had to be a target. Behaviorally, you had to achieve a score of 30 or higher, um, which is just your email clicks, web page visits, form completion. And then you had to have a lead space score greater than 29, 30 and up. And what we found was that reduced a ton of junk that we were sending over the line. And all of a sudden, the, the conversations with sales changed to these leads are actually getting pretty good. And then we said, well, let's move to a named account strategy. Let's have the AEs go ahead and select you know, their top named accounts based on a predictive account score from lead space of 100. Mm-hmm. And uh, and all of a sudden we start seeing that the AEs are focusing their attention on the best accounts and the best accounts start closing and the average selling price starts increasing. And after, I don't know, a year and a half or two years of really focusing on this strategy, focusing on um, optimizing all of our campaigns and programs running in Marketo, we were able to double, literally double, more than double, I should say, um, 
the average selling price for the commercial business. That's awesome. We we changed the definition of what an opportunity is. We cut out all kind of the like bottom feeder kind of opportunities where it was a low selling price, um, more or less because we knew we couldn't provide the level of service we we had to to retain those. Um, so it was actually costing us money to bring in um, customers that were, I guess, not weren't weren't paying enough for the product, so they didn't get the same service that someone you know that paid a little bit more could, and so. Um, this account score all of a sudden became this pivotal, like cornerstone data point for everything we did. I mean, it was, you'd find it in digital campaigns, you'd find it in email campaigns, you'd find it in targeted accelerator type campaigns for late stage prospects. Mm-hmm. I mean, it became, it, it was everything and it worked incredibly well. You bring up the most important point that I want to underscore, which is it's like, winemaking you know it it's maybe there's even a better analogy the point is you optimize it it's not build it and then move on to the next project that type of smart campaign that type of programmatic initiative whether it's scoring or nurturing or even the architecture of your demand funnel or even the use and adoption of sales enablement tools way too often we see people create these programs hit, save, activate, and then not go back to them. And you talked about this constant improvement and optimization process, and it is literally what it takes. And I'm, I'm glad you dug that deep into it because my point about predictive is, as you described it, is it does look like matching, right? It can say, you know, does this fit in some ways the people that we've been selling to so that you can eliminate false positives? And if you c- continuing to change the engagement model. Like for example, you said, you know, the basics of lead scoring and I'm super passionate about lead scoring and just how vital all the elements are. You know, if you're looking at, Hey, has a person visited the website more than twice? That is a leading indicator of engagement when it's within a certain period of time. But if you also know your site really well and you tag certain pages and say, have they visited this, this, or this, it's almost like saying, look at someone in a retail store. Have they asked for help? Do they have anything slung on their arm, like they're going to the dressing room? Have they looked at a price tag? Have they looked at a size? All of those signals in the physical world, we're able to look at similar type of behaviors online. But it's not, there's no default template that puts this in a Marketo or any other marketing automation system. It's applying experience and science and knowledge of buying and buying like behaviors to the model. And if you keep perfecting it and never set it and forget it, you can do amazing things in terms of the alignment of sales and marketing. And I guess, I guess that's what it took for you to really get there. Do you do the same for nurturing, Mike, you know, or in terms of what's the approach you use for creating and uh, nurture streams? So, you know what, this is going to like blow people away. Um, and hopefully no one gets mad at me for saying this, but um, we had gotten to the point a couple years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, where I felt like we had over-engineered nurture. We had, we had built it out to so much complexity um, that it was difficult for anyone to just swap out assets after things where content was exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very, very difficult to report on it. And so um, I, I'm a heavy tester and optimizer. I always have been. I think it's, um, <laughs> It's it's funny how much of a thrill or a rush I get from plugging something into a statistical significance calculator and seeing that I beat it, that yeah. I won. And so um, I spent probably um, all of 2016 and the better part of 2017 optimizing everything we do around email from literally coding a like like a brand new Marketo template. Like if you've got if you've got a Marketo email. Uh, in the past, and now they're new ones because we switched to a new instance. But if you got a Marketo email between like late 2015 and like beginning of 2018, I coded that. And so <laughs> I had all these different projects that I was like, I am going to optimize crap out of the template, the copy, um, the timing, the segmentation. And what I had proved was for our business, because we're, we are what we consider to be like a high volume and velocity business, but also a quantity business. We had to deliver thousands and thousands of MQLs, now AQLs, to our sales partners every month. 
and Nurture could not deliver on that volume. Uh, and then with the added complexity and the reporting difficulties, I actually just said, you know what, I'm turning it off. <laughs> and and so I turned off Nurture and uh, and I continued down this path of batch campaigns, but batch campaigns with with very, very thoughtful and meticulous targeting and then layering in additional um, triggered campaigns mm-hmm. so that for every batch action, there is a triggered reaction or another action off of the trigger and essentially trying to build this, this mousetrap and um, have more oversight than just, hey, it's a nurture, set it and forget it, like it's all good. It was no, there is a, we have a constantly changing environment. We have a constantly changing audience with constantly changing interests. How could I assume in the current nurture model that they will have everything met? And I didn't believe that that they could. And so we went to, you know, and praise God for Marketo, like cloning abilities and, you know, how well it scales for everyone. Um, But we went from, you know, just kind of hoping nurture could do it to sending like 150 batch emails a month, but very targeted, not always very big and um, timely and relevant. And what we found over that course of time um, was year over year, we increased engagement, like not just email, but overall database engagement by something like 67%. And at the end of that year, we had a record year and like blew the sales number out of the water and I remember doing this presentation to um, Ted Purcell, who was um, our previous leader of our commercial sales organization, and walking him through all of the optimizations that we had did to the commercial business on the demand gen side. And he was like, holy crap, our, our sellers need to know this. Our sellers need to be talking about this. Like, this is, this is it. This is exactly what we want everyone to be able to do. And so... Um, where that leads us now is we're in this new instance and um, I feel like we've reduced a lot of the technical debt um, and we are rebuilding a, a nurture engine to support the commercial business, but at a higher frequency. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also we have this test running where what I wanted to determine is, are we better able to speak to people in a way that's relevant if we are speaking to them based on explicit interest when we're actually asking them or, you know, um, tracking what they're doing and, and, and saying, Oh, this, yep. You said you like email marketing. I want to give you resources on that versus inferred interest. You've downloaded these assets. You've visited these pages. And I think I know who you are. (laughs) And so um, we're moving away from this kind of, old school nurture strategy mm-hmm. where it was, we're going to nurture you based on, you know, if you're a C-level person or you work in financial services or higher education, or maybe you um, have a competitive technology or you're just default because we don't know enough about you mm-hmm. to why not nurture someone with their interests? Why not? Whether, whether you're a C-level person Um, at a small company or your director of marketing at Adobe or whatever it is, everyone has an interest. Everyone's coming to our site for one reason or another, whether it's, yeah, I'm interested in marketing automation. I want to learn more about Marketo or look, my, my team needs to stand up a social strategy. We don't have, um, you know, we don't have a very strong brand reputation on Twitter or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And a CMO could have that problem. A director could have that problem a coordinator could have that problem. Why aren't we building that as like the foundation of how we target people based on their interests and then build additional segmentations and layering to level up the messaging if we have to, or talk about teams as opposed to individual contributors. And so that's kind of the direction for this year, although it's, you know, it's, uh, it's subject to a test, subject to see what the data tells us. Yeah. I love the fact that you're constantly testing and constantly optimizing and exploring. I hope people are hearing that, you know, there's no one recipe of success. It's what's right for your business because in some other companies, getting the role and persona content is absolutely critical because of how different the value prop is depending on on who you are. Let's hit two more topics real quick. I want to hit analytics uh, and I want to hit 
what works for you from a channel perspective. Um, you know, you guys do omni-channel marketing, which is great. You know, I see you guys doing display advertising uh, online. You know, I'm on different sites checking stuff out. Boom, there's a promotion for the Adobe Summit uh, and uh, or Marketo uh, ads in the past. What channel of marketing from a lead gen, and I'm using the term judiciously, you know, or, or, you know, just the category of net new filling your funnel, uh, what type of marketing program works best? So that answer is uh, also one that people don't believe. They're like, really? Um, and for us, it's content syndication. And so um, a very large piece of the pie in terms of net new leads, uh, in terms of pipeline, like lead sourced by pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, or I should say pipeline by lead sourced is the right way of saying it and revenue by lead source. A very large portion of that actually comes from content syndication. And what's interesting is content syndication is one of these kind of funky lead acquisition sources where people arrive in your database and they're like, how did I get here? You know, <laughs> how did you get my information? Uh-huh. Um, and we've never really been good at settling that, uh, I guess, feeling for a net new name that's generated some content syndication in the past. And so something we um, actually just rolled out two weeks ago is this um, kind of welcome nurture that it has a bunch of different aims, one of which is to help us determine the explicit, you know, inferred interest question that will guide the nurture build and, and how we want to build kind of a, you know, an interest engine if it goes that way. Um, setting expectations, that whole thing, but also telling them what happened. Like, and I, I feel like maybe that's a novel concept, but you know, like if someone, if someone got into a car accident and woke up in a hospital, they're like, where am I? Yeah. You wouldn't just be like, well, you're in the state of California. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't just like give them some silly answer. You'd say you were in a car accident, yeah. but you're okay now. Yeah. You know, and so why can't you take that same approach with how someone is acquired into your database and just be very honest with them? Because in the end, you know, our goal was to provide a, and it's funny, I, I've always said this, and now we're owned by Adobe and this is like their mission, but like our goal is to provide an experience, like, right. and to give you, um, to like wow you with your experience as you are a um, person walking through your buyer's journey, whether you are just here for thought leadership and learning, or you do intend at some point to buy our product. And so um, I think by kind of setting that stage up front for every net new name and talking to them about how we got their name, even if it's just as simple as you were acquired through a third-party content syndication program. And then going you know further down the text to say, you know, if you want, um, to update your email preferences or unsubscribe, you're welcome to do so. Click here. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm re- I'm very interested to see how this changes the expectations of incoming leads into the database. Because my impression is, and everything that I've kind of read about, a you know parts of this strategy. Because I'm not sure anyone does it quite like this. Is if you set better expectations up front, you allow people to change preferences, you allow them to opt out, you're you're honest with them and you tell them what happened, where they how they got here, then you're gonna get some good ones to stick around. And the good ones that stick around are more likely to engage with you over time, be interested with your brand, consume new content, and hopefully go to sales and want to have a conversation. That's you have the benefit of marketing to marketers, right? And demystifying the tool in terms of its capabilities. When, when I started DemandGen back in 2007, somewhere in the first year or two, I needed a showcase of what to do with all of this stuff. And you really can't use your own website for that type of stuff. I mean, I guess I could have, but I decided, you know, I couldn't get the marketer out of me to, you know, so I, I built a website called itimeware.com and uh, I've, I've since then given up the domain. So don't anyone go check it out because it's gone. But it was a time travel software company, fictional software company. And I purposely built it to direct people to so they could see the power of marketing automation and, you know, take any ideas you might like, Michael, but they would go, to, someone would go to the site and download a free trial of the software. And of course it was fake, you know, it was just a, a 
you know, BS app. I don't even, may have even been a PDF or something, but it would then send them an email and show them what their lead score was and explain why their lead score was that way. And then it visually showed them you're now in this nurture and you're going to get this nurture, then this nurture, then this nurture, but you'll come out. So it explained everything that was happening behind the scenes as they were going through this fictional buying process of getting the um, timeware software. And so it was, it was a fun way to show someone and then I could, you know, show them in the CRM what it looked like in case somebody, because the time machine, by the way, the software was like $20 billion. It had a very high price point, as you can imagine, because it was super powerful. But like the content was like how to travel to the future, what to wear, what to pack, things to think about, rules and regulations. I mean, I really got creative. There's a lot of bottles of wine to come up with all the nurture streams and that, but I needed to showcase. So I think for you to be able to you know, not only use the tool as you do, uh, and, and have some, some fun with it and let people know how they got there and where they're going is a fun way to, to, to do it. You mentioned something and I just, we don't have to spend time on it, but I want people to know, cause we're doing a lot of these, these days or a few of them. Michael mentioned that they've essentially rebooted, you know, d- done a new clean instance of their Marketo instance. And I have to say, if you've had your marketing automation system for seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, something like that, or even if you implement it incorrectly, don't hesitate to consider a project like that. We've done a number of them and there's value of having a clean slate and just starting from scratch, especially if a lot of hands have changed on who's administering the system and gone in there because sometimes it just makes sense to get a clean new instance and, and rebuild and just clean it all up. And I'm glad you guys uh, took the time to do it. Let's finish off with analytics though because you've got a few different tools that you use and I'm sure every marketer on the planet would love to hear what you're keeping score of, what you're tracking, how you're doing it. So can you share a little bit of that, please? Yeah, uh, real quick, because I know I, I don't want to forget about this before we go to the uh, instance reboot topic. I do want to congratulate you for Demand Gen winning partner of the year. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, of course. It's quite an honor. It was, um, it was a lot of work. Uh, you know, it's, it's been a decade plus partnership. I don't know if you know, Michael, I was you know, worked with the team to come up with the revenue cycle analytics product. So I've, I've, I go back to when the product was even out before the market, but to bring success to so many Marketo clients and show them with my team, the art of the possible, and then have them go down that journey together and, and get that recognition from you guys in Adobe was, was awesome. It was a highlight of, of 2018. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. Um, so for analytics, you know, we, we use all the kind of standard reporting that exists within Marketo. Um, I'm, I'm a really big fan of like the lead performance report. I think now they also call it like a person performance report um, just because it's so flexible. You can add these, you can add the custom column and using Smartless. I just think it's a cool report. So um, uh, RCE or advanced report builder, whatever we want to call it, um, pretty critical for, I guess, like the, like a marketing diagnosis of programs. Um, we, in this new model that we launched, which I'll talk about next, but it's, uh, we call it the lead to revenue model and it has these different stages and it's basically how are you taking the lead, moving it to this automated qualified um, lead stage and then it gets tele-accepted by an SDR, converted to an, um, an opportunity, which is like a stage zero, it's called an MQL. And then it gets um, over to an AE and becomes like an SQL when it actually gets put in a pipeline and so on. And so um, that's, it's a fairly complex um, model and it's a huge departure from what we've done in the past. Um, and as a result, and I'm sure like many of you, you've probably had these conversations where you use um, the phrase single source of truth. And so for us, um, our single source of truth has been in Tableau. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Tableau. I think it's a very slick product. And, um, you know, I think you can get, you can get just about all the reporting you need um, built in Marketo. Um, you can get just about all the reporting you need in Salesforce. But I feel that when the two are married together into Tableau, we kind of get the full picture. We get, we get what we need. So, um, and I'd say other than that, I mean, yeah, Tableau, Tableau is like legit. It's, it's our place. It, That's it is a very powerful analytics platform, especially like you said, if you're, if you're aggregating data from more than one system and you want to, you know, leverage the data across different platforms, almost, you know, take your, take your data lake and analyze it and look at it. 
certainly powerful. Not not for the faint at heart, you know, it's it's not necessarily for an SMB, certainly more mid-market enterprise. And there's more and more great analytics tools coming on the market and getting enhanced, uh, which is which is nice. Uh wrap up, are you going to summit? Are you gonna be out there by chance? I am. Yeah. I have two presentations. Nice. Well, good luck with those presentations. What's the topics? Why not, why not bring a little promotion of Michael uh, so people can continue hearing your knowledge and approaches? What are you, you going to be sharing? So um, one of them is uh, my own session. The title is Time, Love, and Intent. It's a reference to the Michael Bolton song, Time, Love, and Tenderness. Uh, big fan. And so uh, that's going to be all about pet data and, and Marketo's um, kind of strategy on building, I guess, from taking bump, all Bombora's data, um, all the intent data that we could see around our account and condensing um, kind of this broad swath of information down into a single um, like sniper shot data point, kind of like you have like your predictive account score where you just say, yep, an account score, add it. Um, it's a kind of personalized intent score for companies in our database. Um, so I'll be talking about that in one presentation and the other presentation. Um, it's, uh, I think it's a few of us, it's Ted talk style, the Ted, yeah, Ted talk style. I think I have 10 minutes and it's, um, you know, it's on like the topic of sales and marketing alignment, which is super mind blowing. I'm sure no one's heard about that before. Never, ever. Um, first time. Never. Yeah. But, um, I have, I am trying very hard within 10 minutes to, um, tell the audience about how I view sales and marketing alignment in a way that is different from anything that they've heard. So we'll see how it goes. I could swap. Everyone could be like, yeah, yeah, we've heard that. Or it could be really impactful. We'll find out. Good luck with that. Well, we are going to have, uh, we'll be there. Uh, we won't be on the expo floor this year just because of the pivot that you guys did in terms of bringing the event in sooner. Uh, but we are going to be there in force. We have a reception Tuesday night that I would like to personally invite you to there at the new top of the palms, gorgeous new venue. I'll get you details on that. And I want to thank you for the partnership and thanks for coming on the program, Michael and Sharon. I, I feel like you and I could have had an even longer chat about some of the, the programs and the initiatives that you guys are working on this year, but I'll leave it at that. And thank you. I look forward to seeing you in, in a couple weeks. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You bet. Fun. All right, everybody. Well, hey, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. I hope hearing Michael talk about uh, how Marketo does Marketo uh, is insightful for you, triggering some ideas for you. Certainly easy to find Michael on LinkedIn. Just search for Michael Madden, not Steve Madden, not John Madden, but Michael Madden, head of demand generation at Marketo. That's going to do it. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.